Welcome to Origin Gates' daily podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Samantha Mahoney. In the last five episodes, we've been looking at Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So let's carry on with chapter 4. We know that Eve becomes pregnant. She gives birth to Cain, and a little later she gives birth to his brother Abel. The word says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Two totally different modes of work over here. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. You can see that both of them work in different fields, and Cain brings the first fruit from the ground. We see that Abel is raising livestock, and he offers burnt offerings, the fat offerings of his flock. Now, when you have a look at this, you would say that Cain's offering may have been the better offering because in Genesis 2, when Adam and Eve fell and they were disobedient, they ate of the fruit, God cursed the land. It said, because of your disobedience, the land is cursed. Now you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow for it to produce anything. It's going to produce thorns and thistles. So we know that what Cain was doing was not an easy thing. It wasn't just a natural thing that came for the fruit to grow. He worked hard. He sweated. By the sweat of his brow, he produced this and he offers his work to the Lord. But let's have a look at the Lord's opinion on this. It says the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Why would this be that Cain's offering was not accepted? Yahweh is all about altars. If you start to have a look at every time the Bible mentions an altar, You will see that by the time you get to 1 Samuel, you have already 18 pages worth of record of the word altar. I tried this exercise. That's how come I can tell you about it. Altars is God's idea. Blood sacrifice is God's idea. He has a certain protocol of the things that he um, wants to be offered. He has a certain protocol with regard to sacrifices for atonement of sin. They involve blood. That is not the devil's idea. This is an original idea and it is God's. He has the way that he wants things done. We have a tendency to bring him our sloppy seconds. We think it's about our works and about the sweat of our brow, but the word says that obedience is better than sacrifice. When you have a look at the Ark of the Covenant, when it got taken by the Philistines and it was kept by them for those number of years, we have King David who's jubilant and he goes with his men to go and reclaim that captured Ark. He goes in with a man-made contraption. It was actually a Philistine invention where he took cattle and he took a cart. And they went to go and reclaim that ark. They put the ark on that cart and they were on their way back to Jerusalem. The word says that one of the oxen stumbled and Uzzah put out his hand to steady the ark. And it says the anger of the Lord burnt against him and he smote him dead right there. This is the same kind of thing we're talking about with Cain and Abel. Why did God smite him? The man did a good deed. He didn't want the ark to fall on the ground and smash, right? That's a noble thing to do. But that is not how God's protocol is for carrying the ark. He stipulated when the priest would carry the ark, you have to put the staves of the ark on your shoulders 
right? And you go where the cloud moves. That was the protocol for carrying the ark. We can't bring in our own ideas and go, okay, well, God, you need to bless this now. That's not how this works. So God had an offering in mind, which was to do with the animals, the firstborn and a pure spotless, a blemish free animal as a presentation for a sacrifice. Abel followed that protocol. Cain did not. So Cain was angry and his face was downcast. Verse 6 says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Here's a, here's a key for us right now. And this is the first place that we're starting to talk about doorways into the bloodline. It says, verse 7, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, so if we're doing things that are not right, the word says sin is crouching at your door. Here's the doorway. It's a spiritual doorway and it's entry into a bloodline, into the present and into the future. It, being sin, desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This is the key for us, ruling over sin that desires access into our bloodlines, into our future generations. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. This is premeditated. You can tell right here, let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, notice he doesn't say, you've, you've killed your brother. He asks a question just like he did in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned. It says that the voice was walking in the garden and God said, where are you? That was his first opportunity to repent. And he does exactly the same thing with Cain. He goes, where is your brother Abel? God knows full well what's happened to Abel. But he's giving Cain a chance to repent. Like his parents, Cain decides not to. And listen to the arrogance here. I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? So he failed in his responsibility to take ownership of things. We are asked the same thing. We, we have stuff that goes on in our life that has legal right to do so. Somebody in our bloodline opened that door and they did not rule over that sin. And so there is access. You know what happens when we don't rule over that sin? Let me just read James 1 verse 15 to you. It says, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, it brings forth death. So when we fail to rule over that stuff, it opens a door for death to come in. And it's in, in many forms. It's not just as in you die. It's, it comes as in many forms. There's no fruit. There's, there's um, no life in some of the things that we're trying to do. And I'm going to show you many examples. We're just getting warmed up right now. Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? Another opportunity. There's a place right here for him to come clean. What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. This is interesting. Just those, just that one sentence, listen. In other words, the blood has a voice. The blood is speaking something. What is that blood of Abel speaking? It's speaking for vengeance. It's speaking for justice. It's, it's crying out for the Lord to pay attention. And obviously he has. He says, listen, your brother's blood cries to me. What I found really interesting about that statement about blood is when you read the Torah and you read the rabbinical explanation of that, it says the word is the plural 
of blood, so bloods, implying that Cain's crime was not limited to one person. He had shed Abel's blood and the blood of his potential descendants. So isn't that interesting? Even though they were not even born yet, they were still in his loins. They had a voice and they were also crying out for this justice and for, um, for, for the Lord to do something about this injustice that had happened over there. Very interesting. Now you are under a curse, this is verse 11, and driven from the ground. Whenever we do stuff, there is always going to be consequences. And we are fooling ourselves if we think that we can do one thing that is towards sin and get a different result other than the consequences that are owing to us. The word says, um, it says in Galatians, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will reap. We cannot plant an apple seed and think that strawberries are coming up tomorrow. We're going to be bitterly disappointed. We cannot sow unto sin and think that we're going to have life coming up in our bloodline. That's not how it works. There are consequences. Also notice that it says you are under a curse. We spoke about this in one of our previous episodes where we think that curses come from the devil. Every time curse is mentioned, we think that the devil, it's the devil's fault and he's he's the reason that we have this curse on us. But no, the word says there are consequences. We, see, we saw it with Adam and Eve when they were disobedient. There were consequences for what they did. We see it now again with Cain. He had premeditated murder in his heart. He went through with it he failed to repent and so there was a curse that was leveled by God himself listen to the consequences or the curse that Cain had to live with it says um, let me read it again now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand when you work the ground it will no longer yield its crop for you so that's the first thing. I mean, it's hard enough. Now you're toiling. There's thorns, there's thistles, and you've got to toil by the sweat of your brow to get food. But now on Cain, this curse is pronounced that it will no longer yield its crops for him. This was his pride. Uh, this is what he offered to the Lord. This was what he was proud of. And now God is even saying that you won't have anymore. The second thing is you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Those are two consequences of murder. Now let's just pause that for a second because we have we have a root system right here where this curse is pronounced on murder. Let me ask you this if you examine your own life. Do you often feel like the work of your hands or that stuff that you are proud of is presenting nothing? It's not it's not successful for you. It's like um there's no fruitful, bountiful harvest that comes in as the result of what you do. You might have two or three jobs just trying to make ends meet, and it feels like nothing that you do is productive. That's what I'm, con that's what I'm referring to as a cycle or a pattern that we're noticing in our bloodlines. You might notice that it happened with your parents, or it might happen with your, um, with your children, or whatever it is, but that's, that's the pattern I'm talking about. Or let's have a look at the second one that related to Cain. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. In your own life, 
Do you feel like you move from house to house and you don't find any peace? You cannot settle there. It's like you're continually being pushed out of that place. You go from church to church. You go from job to job. You might move country to country, but it doesn't seem like you can put your roots down. It doesn't seem like you can actually make something in that place. And so you've got nothing to show for the work of your hands and all the places that you've been. And it's like this barrenness. Those are fruit that are manifesting in your life. It's, the word says you will know a tree by its fruit. Examine the fruit. Examine the cycles and the patterns that are coming up around you because you've identified the fruit. What we tend to do when we've identified the fruit, for example, um, I have anger issues. Let's just pretend. And so I examine that. I go, yeah, this is fruit in my life. I get angry at the smallest thing. My trigger is getting in the car in traffic and seeing all these stupid people in front of us that obviously can't make a right choice. And that angers me so much and it puts me into a rage. And then I drive like a crazy person and I put my family's life in danger. That could be a fruit. And, and people might say, you know what? Dude, when you're driving, you, you make me nervous. You, you actually make me feel like I'm going to lose my life today. I don't like feeling unsafe with you. So people might point it out to you or you might be very aware of it yourself. So you go, all right, yep, I have an anger problem. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to anger management. And you go to anger management classes and sure, you will perhaps see an amazing turnaround in your anger. But what is going to happen? Let me just bring that back to a rose bush, for instance. I'm going to prune a rose bush. It's like I cut off everything um, from the old season and my bush looks bare. And I can't go, awesome, now I've dealt with all of that stuff, it's done. Because next season is coming along. All I've actually done by cutting off that stuff from last season is I have pruned the rose bush. When the next season comes up, I am going to have an overabundance of roses because I've trimmed back and I've pruned it. You might not see that manifestation of anger arising. Maybe you'll trigger. That's that's normal. Maybe you will trigger and have a, a relapse. But in another generation, because you haven't dealt with the roots of why that thing got there in the first place, it's going to reproduce in another generation. So when, and you know what, this is so easy to fix if we will just take the responsibility. We've seen many times in the few chapters that I've read already about how God is always giving opportunity for repentance. If we will own it, own the sins of our fathers, and I'll, I'll prove to you that they are our fathers and not our forefathers or our ancestors. They're actually our fathers. It's the same thing. And what they do opens a door for us. What we do opens a door for our future generations. Generations. If nobody takes responsibility, we are going to keep that tree in place and it's going to continually produce fruit after its own kind. I will continue. Verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. Can you imagine that? I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now, if we only believe in one creation, then this would pose a question for you right here. Whoever finds me, because if there was only Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, who is the whoever then? 
that he's referring to right here? How did he even get a wife? So we've got to believe that there was something more than just Cain, Abel and his mom and dad. The Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer. We even see Yahweh operating in mercy as he's dealing with Cain and what he's just done. Whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. That mark, what is that mark all about? The, the Hebrews believe that it was a mark on the forehead. Why the forehead? Well, if you think of the forehead's position on the body, it's on the head, right? The head is the most elevated part of a physical body. Song of Songs 711 says, your forehead is like the Tower of Lebanon. So the forehead represents your desire, which will influence your decisions. So if you think about this, if your desire is to become a doctor, you're going to make choices based on fulfilling that desire. You're going to go and study to become that doctor. You're going to do your research. It's a whole process, many years of study that you will go through to meet that desire. Your forehead is on the front of your face, meaning whichever direction you, you walk in whichever direction your forehead is facing. And that's talking about how your desire drives your will. If you look at the apparel that the Jews wear, they wear a teflon on their forehead. It's a religious object that has the name of God engraved into it, which is to remind the wearer to be constantly aware of God. What does the word say? Taking every thought captive to the mind of Christ. The forehead is linked to sins of impudence. What is impudence? It's your conduct and your language. What was Cain's conduct? Premeditated murder. He killed his brother and his language. Am I my brother's keeper? And, and the arrogance that came out there. So, so God puts this mark on his forehead. We, we see other examples in scripture where God deals with the forehead. I'll give you just two examples. 2 Chronicles 26, go and read verse 1 to 23. King Uzziah was confronted by the priest Azariah for going into the consecrated place reserved for the Aaronic priest and he burned incense there. That was not the protocol. The word says that leprosy broke out on his forehead which was the visible punishment of impudence. Another example, when David kills Goliath with a single shot to the forehead. Why the forehead? Because the stone struck the center of his insolence, the focal point of impudence. When you see um, the priests and their, their clothing, the, the apparel that they wore, the priest wore it seats which is a gold head plate, and he wore it on the forehead with yod Hey vav Hey on it, the name of God. Why? Why the forehead? To atone for the sins of impudence. So that's just a piece of interesting information there. Cain goes out from the, the Lord's presence, and he lives in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain has his wife, and she becomes pregnant, and then it, from verse 17, it just starts to go through the, the generations of Cain. He has Enoch. Now, Enoch is not the one who walked with God, okay? This, this is Cain's generation, so he gives birth to Enoch, um, and he has a city, and he names it after Enoch, and then Enoch has Irad. Irad has Mehujael. Mehujael has Methushael. And Methushael has Lamech. This is also not the same Lamech that came from Seth's line, from Adam. Okay, now, now I'm going to read to you verse 19 because there's some interesting stuff in here. 
Um, Lamech married two women. One was named Adar and the other Zillah. Adar gave birth to Jabal, and he was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all who played string instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. Okay, now verse 23. It's like we shift gears completely over here. Verse 23 says, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for injuring me. What? What, what is going on right here? So I went to the Torah and I had a look at the rabbinical explanation. And I'm going to read it to you because this is fascinating. Lamech was blind and his son Tubal Cain used to lead him. One day, Tubal Cain saw Cain and mistaking him for an animal, he bade his father to shoot an arrow which killed Cain. When Lamech realized he killed Cain, he beat his hands together in grief and accidentally struck his son, killing him too. This angered his wives who refused to live with him and he tried to appease them. So let, let, me, let, me just, let me just rewind that whole scenario again. We have Cain who has premeditated murder and he kills his brother Abel in the field. He doesn't repent. He, he does. So sin crouching at his door now has an entranceway into his children. Lamech is the seventh generation from Adam. What did God say? He spoke about, um, let me just find it. Whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. So this is the seventh generation. So the seventh generation, he allowed, he allowed Cain to have seven generations to, to be around them, to see many of his offspring. But notice that the same thing that happened to um, Abel happened to Cain because the word also says, whoever sheds blood by man will his blood be shed. Isn't that interesting? Who killed Cain according to the Torah? It was his offspring. It was Lamech who was his fifth, his fifth child, but seventh in the whole generation so far. So can you see that that door that Cain opened to do with murder was carried down through the open door because he did not govern over that. And even Yahweh gave him um, gave him that instruction when he said, why is your face so downcast? Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. He got the warning before he actually did it, and he still went ahead and did it because he didn't rule. That opened the door for Lamech to kill him too. Fascinating stuff. So Adam again, um, he has, now we're back to Adam, the father. He has a son, and he names him Seth saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth has a son. He names him Enosh. Okay, and then that starts going into the other generation or the generational line of Seth, which we'll have a look at in our next episode. But I want to finish off reading verse 26 of chapter 4 in Genesis because I want to show you something here. It says, at the time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So we go, oh, awesome. Okay, so their hearts start to turn back. But when you read the Torah and the explanation, this is what it says. The generation of Enosh introduced idolatry, 
which was to become the blight of humanity for thousands of years. By ascribing godlike qualities to man and lifeless objects, they created the abominable situation in which to call in the name of Hashem became profaned. One of these sages explains how the grievous misconception of idol worship began and developed. Very briefly, he says that it began when people felt that they should honor the heavenly bodies as God's emissaries to the world, just as it is proper to honor the ministries of a ruler. Eventually, this trend spread and became more and more corrupted until worshippers forgot about God and assumed that all powers were vested in whatever representation they chose to worship. So idolatry comes in here. And we notice that this is a door that we did not rule over back in that time. And it is open to mankind today. We're going to look at Genesis 5 next time. I really enjoyed sharing with you today. And I thank you for giving your valuable time to listen in to Wisdom's Echo. Shalom.